What a day. What an amazing day to celebrate. As you think about the empty tomb, as you think about on Friday, celebrating, as we call it, Good Friday, that day of sacrifice. Why is it that we chose Sunday as our day? Why not Saturday? That's what they did in the Old Testament. Why not Friday? It's when Christ died. Why Sunday? Because the job wasn't truly over. The, the, the task wasn't complete. The purpose that Jesus came for was not just simply to die. He came to rise to life again. And so that's why we celebrate on Sunday. That was His purpose. His aim in life was, was to live, to breathe, to serve, to die, but to come back to life again. So that's why we celebrate today. And so glad you're with us. Glad you're a part of our celebration today. And I want to ask you, as you think about the life of Christ, as you think about the way He lived out, purpose in His life, a great example for that in so many capacities, I want to ask you, what is your aim in life? Are you, do you have an aim or are you aimless with your life? Are you kind of like Forrest Gump, you know, like a feather in a breeze, just wherever it blows, you go. You know, just get up in the morning and you go with it. Get up in the next offer, you go with it. Whatever, you just kind of, you're a responder instead of an activator. You're the one who's initiating because you're going with great intention. I know there's great intentionality that fills this room, but in the grand scheme of your life, you know what you're going to do probably tomorrow. You've got more on your plate than you can say grace over. But, but, but at your life level, at a 30,000-foot level, where are you heading? Where are you going? And I've heard this story used a lot of different times. I first saw it in a Charlie Brown uh, cartoon. So, you know, deep thinkers. All right? so you see how deep I am. Calvin Hobbes, Charlie Brown, those, that's about as deep as I get. But I was looking at a, Carl, a Charlie Brown cartoon in the paper one time, and it talked about had Charlie Brown pulling back a bow and, and shooting an arrow. And then the next frame, he's going over, he's drawing a big circle around that arrow. In the next frame, Lucy comes up and asks him, what are you doing? And I think many of y'all have heard the story, heard the example before. But he, he, draw, he says, I'm drawing a bullseye around all of these various arrows that I have in, in, in the fence. And he said, that way I always hit the bullseye. Now, I don't know how you are and you're going out there into this world. Are you one of those who says, ready, aim, fire? Or are you kind of in that other set of people? You more are like the ready, fire, aim kind of people. I don't know where you are at in your life, where your aim is in your life. But I hope that when you look at the story of Jesus... When you study it deeply, you'll see that he had great aim, great intentionality, great purpose. And what can we draw from that for our own life and direction as we move forward? Take your Bibles and be finding the book of Philippians, all right? You'll find it back, middle of the New Testament area there. A bunch of little books put together, letters that he wrote out. Prison epistles is what some people call them. These are letters that he wrote while in jail for being a, a Christian. Philippians. It's one of those, it's an amazing letter of, of grace and rejoicing and a spirit about him, yet he's writing it in jail, all right? So go figure that. It's just a, an amazing book worthy of studying. But he talks to the believers and he warns them. He calls out some that are in the midst of the church at Philippi. He calls them out and he points out that they're kind of off. They're kind of, they're kind of out in left field. 
The, the Gnostics is what it literally were the believers of that day. The Gnostics were, were chasing this, this wind of doctrine that was growing. And, and, and Paul just puts up a red flag. And he just, listen, this is not good. In fact, he goes so far as to call them dogs. Now, again, you got to remember, first century, call someone a dog. That, that's not exactly a compliment. Now, in 21st century, we have hospitals for our dogs, doctors for our dogs. We have doggy daycares. We, we, we feed our dogs from our table. It's my better judgment, but we do that. that. That kind of stuff, we treat our dogs at a much higher plush light. To be a dog in the first century was to be a scavenger. And truly, as he calls them out, Paul is saying, listen, 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 don't chase after that. In Ephesians chapter 4, he even told the church of Ephesus, listen, you're like a feather on a breeze. Now, that's my paraphrase. But he says, you're just blowing about, going with everything that comes out, every new hot book, every new hot idea, or this is the trendy thing to believe or go and do. Paul says, no, 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 don't do that. Find something solid. Find your true north, if you will. He didn't say that, but in essence is what he's saying. Figure out what it is is going to be your solid anchor and then set sail, man. Get out there. Know where you're going. Don't be like a feather on a, on a breeze. Figure out where you're going. In Philippians 2, uh, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 2, follow along as I read just two verses here. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This, these are the Gnostics that he's warning them against. It says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in the glory of Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So listen, listen, we need to understand who we are. We need to understand who they are. And we need to make sure we aren't just going with the popular way to go. Again, you're not aiming. You're not, you're just firing. You're just going into this world. I hope that's not you. I hope it's not me in my own life as I live it out. And you think, what does this have to do with Easter? I think it has everything to do with Easter. We're all crowded into this room today, not because we're wondering, did Jesus rise from the dead? Did Jesus really die? You're here, shoulder to shoulder, armpit to armpit, with people that you don't know, because I'm assuming that you already believe that Jesus died and He rose from the grave. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Because I want us to understand, though, that there is a residual effect of Easter. All right? Easter is more than just a holiday that we celebrate. It's a life you live. It truly is something that's supposed to invade and permeate and saturate every, every area of our life. Now, think about that. How much does the story, the message, the truth of the resurrected guy named Jesus Christ, who's also God, what does that do to your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and so on? What kind of residual effect is it, is it playing out in, your, in, in the rest of your week, in the rest of your days? Because I, I'm convinced that everyone in this room believes that Jesus fully died, all right? That he was dead because, listen, Jesus was killed by the Romans. And the Romans knew how to kill people. All right. In fact, you go in the first century and even before the first century, fourth century BC, there was actually a time. Uh, Josephus speaks of this. He's a first century historian. He speaks of this time in fourth century BC where they were killing so many Jews. They were crucifying so many. They didn't have enough crosses for them on the road. Now that's how brutal and that's how real the, the Romans believed in crucifixion. 
It wasn't just set aside for Jesus and a few other really bad guys. They'd kill anybody. They picked it up from the barbarians, but they perfected it. The Romans were, this is, this is not their first rodeo. They were masters at crucifixion. Uh, but also, I believe everybody in this room probably believes that fact. But I want to also say, Jesus was fully a dead, but I also want to say this, Jesus was fully alive. You know, there were hundreds of people who saw him. Hundreds. Over a 40-day span of time, it wasn't like, I just saw him in some hallucinating dream. I just, I just wish he was here in, in some kind of warm, cozy, fuzzy feeling inside my gut. He's here with me. No, they saw him. They walked with him. They talked with him. Lots of people. 500 people at one time. It talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. But over 500 people at one time saw him, witnessed him. Now many of them, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 5 to 6. And I wonder today... And I, well, I don't wonder today. Again, I think you're in this room. You're with us today because you believe Jesus died. You believe Jesus rose, to get, rose from the dead. You, he conquered. So we don't even need to spend a lot of time today in some kind of uh, historical apologetics. But let me just read from you one lawyer who has studied the evidence. Now, this is not just your average Joe lawyer. This is uh, a guy by the name of Sir Norman Anderson. He was educated at Cambridge. He, he lectured at Princeton. He was asked to be on faculty for life, tenured for Harvard. But he actually goes over to, uh, to London and joins the faculty of the law of the University of London. And this is what he said after studying the evidence of the resurrection. He said the empty tomb then forms a verifiable rock on which all rationalistic theories of the resurrection dash themselves in vain. Now, I just wanted to quote there because there may be some, one, two, three, I don't know, four or five in this room who may still be wondering, did he really die? Absolutely. Romans were professional killers. Two, did he really come back to life? Absolutely. He came back to life. There's no doubt about it. The evidence proves that he came back to life. But I want to ask you another question. And I hope it's a more personal question. It's not deep. It's two words. So what? So what? So, so Jesus rose from the dead. So he died. So, so he rose from the dead. What does that really, how does that really impact my life from a day? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, first of all, it's foundational to, to a person's relationship with God Almighty. All right? Romans 10 makes that abundantly clear to us. Whenever he said that, that if we confess with our mouth and believe... Uh, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, what does it say? You will be saved. So it's absolutely foundational. So let me just leave it there. But let me push it even further. I could stop there and just leave it there. We That'd be enough. But I want to ask you, so what today? So what tomorrow? So what? So, so what does the, the resurrection do to your everyday down and out, nasty, grit and grime kind of life. Well, if you can take Philippians here as we, as we look, I want to take you to Paul and what he said about the resurrection and how it truly changed his perspective. It changed his trajectory. It changed the course of his life. The resurrection was not something that he just looked back as a historical event, that it happened in time, and that it was something that he was basing his faith in eternity on, it was something that literally 
saturated his everyday life. So how is it saturating your everyday life? Paul was writing here, and and, uh, follow along if you want to, in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, but that I may know him, now notice this, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that in any means possible I may attain, it was his goal, attain to the resurrection from the dead. What is this? Paul says in his life, it is, it's, it's my aspiration. It's my aim. It's my, it's my purpose. It's why I breathe. That I would know Him and the power of His resurrection. And, 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 and that when I die, I would know His resurrection. The resurrection absolutely meant everything to Paul. So here's, here's another, here's another ver- translation of the same verse. Holman Christian Standard Bible puts it like this. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. I will somehow reach to the resurrection of the dead. Now, when we come to Paul's life here, when we come and we look at it, we come to a very important passage of Scripture. And really what we're doing is we're looking at two different paragraphs today, all right, if you will. In in Bible study methodology, they kind of tell you to focus in on one paragraph. So I'm going to kind of survey two paragraphs. Because I think it's really important to understand the linchpin, the, the hinge, the pivot point on which both of these two passages tie together. And it is verse 10 and verse 11. These two passages... Verses prior to verse 10, verses after verse 11, all hinge and turn on the single, solitary goal in Paul's life that he would know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now, everything that he says is kind of interesting when you look at Paul. He talks about his life before, and then he talks about his life after. He talks about, this is where I used to go, but now this is where I'm going. And right in the middle on which everything is turning, is verse 10 and 11. Now that may not mean a whole lot to you, but hang with me on this. Because what the resurrection should do to my day-to-day life and your day-to-day life is it should cause us to even affect how we live. Affect how we breathe, how we think, how we process. This is not just a Sunday tipping our hat at God thing. This is absolutely every bit of our life being penetrated by this. I want to show you two effects, and then we'll move forward. All right, two effects of the the, the resurrection on your life and my life. All right, and I want to say this, and as I say talk about this, I want you to see these two effects. I want you to realize you and I, and I said this a few weeks ago, you and I have no control over over the length or the span of our life, but we do have control over the depth of our life. I, I, I can't control the days that I live, the hours that I live. I can't control that. Nature just takes over, just rules, okay? The laws of, it just, but I can. I can control just how deep I am in my life and just how much substance there is in my life. So it brings me to, to effect number one. When you think about the resurrection Monday morning when you wake up, all right? Tuesday morning when you wake up. Effect number one is that the resurrected life gives you a substantive focus for living. A substantive 
focus for, I don't know how many people you know out there that are successful and shallow. All right? Think about it for a moment. I'm not saying all successful people are shallow, and I'm not saying shallow people are successful. But I just tend to know quite a few people that have accomplished a lot, that have done a lot, but are pretty shallow. Don't have a whole lot of depth to them. Kind of jump from one thing to the next, one job to the next, one joy ride to the next, one, one experience to the next. Pretty shallow when it comes to the depths of their, of, of their soul. Think about the richest monarch, monarch who ever lived. Richest king who ever lived. Most, most red king who ever wrote. Solomon. And at the end of his life, after attaining all of this wealth, after getting all of this knowledge, after having all of this influence, what does he say? It's all vain. It's all empty. My, my, I think the saddest tale would be that you would literally live a successful life here in northwest Arkansas, raise up your children successfully, and all of a sudden get to the end of your successful life with your successful family and your successful career, and at the end of it just say, is this all there is? It's just so empty. It's so meaningless. And that's exactly what Solomon said. So I, here's the question I want to ask you about your success. What is the substance of your success? Because for Paul, the resurrection meant That was the substance. That was where he got his substance from. It was deep inside of that. It was was not in his portfolio. It was not in his resume. Bob Buford, a book that I think every man over 35 or 40, and women as well, should read. Bob Buford, a book called Halftime. It's a great book on helping people move from success to significance. But there's only one challenge I have about the whole idea of moving from success to significance, is I think there's a lot of people who can't even define what success is. And they'll spend their entire life trying to define, trying to find, trying to get success. Even though a lot of people would look at them and say, oh, you're very successful. Look at your career. Look at your house. Look at your toys. Look at your experiences. Look at your travel. But really, what is the substance of your success? Now let me bring this in back to, back to our passage. Paul was a very successful man. His name was Saul prior to this. But if you were to look at Paul's resume today, if you were to look at his pedigree today, it means not a whole lot to us. First century, however, man, this guy, he is top of the food chain. All right, he's off the chart. In fact, I want to read to you his resume today. And as you read it, you're going to go, big whoop-de-doo. But hang with me on this, because it actually plays in to the center of his life and where he's going uh, with his life. Verse 3 says it like this. He actually uses the word confidence three different times, because I'm afraid so many of us put our confidence in the wrong thing. Uh, In essence, we seek success from the wrong pool, all right? It says, "No, no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I more. What Paul was saying, he says, my pedigree is here, my, my, my integrity is here, my accomplishments are here, I am at the top of the ladder of success. All right? 
nothing wrong with success. Just make sure whatever ladder you climb, it's leaning against the right wall. All right? The problem is many people are leaning against the wrong wall. Here we go. Now notice what he said here as he lists out his resume in verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of, uh, of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, what I just read there didn't mean a whole lot to you. doesn't to me. But if you understood what he was saying, he said, listen, I am the highest stock. My pedigree is, is irreplaceable. I am the most devout of all Jews. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. You would list me among the who's who's. All right? That's how important and big and confident I am. Or I could be. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Listen, I was so committed to my job. 24-7, I'm thinking about how can I do my job, which his job was to persecute the church. I know, hang-ups there for you and I, but, but his job was to go out and kill Christians. And he would travel to kill Christians. He would oversee the killing of Christians. He was known on his resume as the ideal persecutor of the church. That's who he was. That's who we're dealing with. As the righteousness under the law, I was blameless. I am impeccable. I am at the top of my game. You can't beat me. Now look at verse 7. But whatever gain I have, and he, what he does is he throws in some business terms here. Anybody in this room deal with a P&L statement on a regular basis? Raise your hand. Seriously? If you deal with a P&L statement, that's a profit and loss statement, all right, raise your hand. All right, there's a few of you. All right. That's something that our businesses survive or die off of. You deal with a P&L statement at your house. You have so much income goes in, it comes in, and you have so much outgo that goes out. We all deal with P&L, all right? Now, some of us don't deal with the loss side. Anyway, we'll save that for another message. Paul said, I gained it all. But he said, I counted as loss. I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. What Paul said, he said, I was so successful. I was a Hebrew of a Hebrew. I was a Pharisee. I was all these things. I was successful. My, I was at the top of my game. But when I got to the top of the ladder, I realized that, gosh, it's so empty. I, I, this isn't right. This isn't full. He says, I'm taking all these things that I've counted as prophets in this line, in this, in this category, and I'm going to shift them over. They're all loss. Because, listen to this. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. His success lacked substance. See, it's not moving from success to significance if you don't even know what success looks like. If your success is empty, if your success is vain, if your success is unfulfilling, if your success is only about you, whatever it is, even, even, even in religious success as Paul was, if that's, it's vain, it's empty, it's, it, it lacks substance. For so many people, I'm afraid in our world, we think that if I can just get it a little bit more and save a little bit more and make a little bit more, I'm going to be successful. And that becomes their chief aim in life. And I want to say, where's the substance? That will last that dollar that you earn because you'll need to make $2 tomorrow and $3 the next. And it is never ending. Leonard Sweet said in his book, Carpe Manana, he said, the, greatest, the greater the material fullness, the greater spiritual emptiness is what he's found. 
we used to live in, in southern Africa in Zambia for four years, and, and we, we raised our kids in a large part there when they were younger. And, and we, we lived, and I, we had it counted, 19 hours from the closest McDonald's. When you're raising kids, knowing where the local McDonald's is is really important business. All right, we were four boarders and 19 hours from the closest McDonald's. And when we went on vacation, it was get to the McDonald's as fast as you can in South Africa. Well, there was one time that I was asked to come to South Africa for some continuing education and training and so forth. And I had 24 hours that I was going to be on the ground in Johannesburg. And that was, so here I am. I get my plane, I get, I get there, I land, I get my rental car. And you know the first place I went? I mean, I was a kid in a candy store. I got my McDonald's. I don't know what time it was. It didn't matter. I needed my McDonald's. I hate McDonald's today, by the way. But uh, anyway, the uh, at that time, I mean, I was ready for some McDonald's. So I got my McDonald's, Happy Meal or whatever I got myself. And 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 then I went to the retreat. I went to the, 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 the training time. And they were feeding us at this training center, by the way. But I decided, because I saw McDonald's on the way, that I would feed myself. And I was going to go out, and I was going to buy my own food, and I went to McDonald's. So came came dinner that night. I didn't eat with everybody else. I went to McDonald's, and so I eat that had my afternoon meal. I had my evening meal, and I got up that morning, and I was hungry for McDonald's again. So I went for breakfast at McDonald's three times in a few hours, and then came lunchtime, and the the, the conference was pretty well wrapping up that afternoon. I went to McDonald's again. So in a matter of a few hours, I've gone four times. And, um, and then it came time to get on the plane, and you know, what's one more meal? And so I stop at McDonald's again. Five times in 24 hours, I ate at McDonald's. Now, it took me 48 hours to recover from that 24-hour period. And I'll spare you all those details. But I'll just say this, that in that 24-hour period, I got everything that I wanted. McDonald's. I got as much as I wanted of McDonald's. I was full. In fact, I didn't even need McDonald's anymore. But I went back to McDonald's one last time just before I got on the plane to go home. Here's the point. In this world, we got a room full of very resourceful people, very capable people who will go into the business world tomorrow and will make a lot and do a lot and impact a lot and sell a lot. But I wonder, when will we ever get enough of that? And and here's even the bigger question. Will it ever reach a substantive form? Or will it just be more and more and more? Now, I'm not saying we all need to be lazy couch potatoes and not work hard. But I just really wonder at the end of the day, are we just going to build up a nice big Resume, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, a zealous, a hard-charging person like Paul. Are we ever going to wake up one day and realize it's not in this. I've counted this as gain. I need to shift it over to a column called loss. And what I really, really, my goal is in life is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Every day of my life, it is my goal my substance, my aim to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Is that you? I would hope that the resurrection would be more than an Easter holiday trip to the church. 
I hope that it would mean more than that. I hope it would affect you Monday. And you start asking yourself the hard questions. Is this substantive success? Or is this temporary success? Number two, the, the residual effect of the resurrection. Not only does it give us a substantive focus for life, but number two, the resurrected life gives you a future to press towards. All right, Paul realized in all of his history he had success, but his success was actually lost. And so he starts looking to the future. And it gives us a future to press towards. It gives us a tomorrow, a challenge. Now, here's a, a very simple question for you. Zone in here, please. How challenged are you in your faith? How really robust are you building up in the faith? Because when you look at what Paul said in the next paragraph, is he, he really kind of points to the fact that, listen, I know what my goal is, and this is where I am going Katie, bar the door. Verse 12, he says, Not that I've already obtained it, this, but I are already imperfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What a beautiful statement that is. And I don't have time to develop it. Verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I've already made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind me, I press on. Forgetting for what is ahead, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Was Paul's life boring and drab because he became so more focused on his relationship with God? On his relationship through Jesus Christ? No, he became energized. He says, I press on. I stretch forward. I press on. I'm not stopping. Now, I don't know about you, but I ran my first and last half marathon last year. First and last. Emphasis on that. All right? And um, I don't know. Nobody prepared me for the, the... I knew there would be a wall. Everybody talks about the wall when you're running. How many walls do you have to go through before you get to the finish line? You know, there's all kinds of walls. I hit the wall several times. And I realized this, and I, I remember the thoughts in my head, I'm just going to stop. But then I thought, all these other people are going to pass me, and they're going to know me, and that's not going to be good. And, and I thought, okay, if I stop, where do I go from here? Do I go backward? Or do I go forward? Well, if I'm going forward, the fastest way to get there is just keep running. So the way I'm going to, so you understand what I'm going through? Some of you are laughing because you were there just a few weeks ago. Uh, the, the whole idea that just just pressing forward. Somebody taught me this in the gym recently. Pain is weakness leaving your body. And, and I think if we would learn in our faith how weak we are, because we're not really stretched that much. We don't allow ourselves to be stretched in the faith. Paul said, I'm pressing on. I've realized I've got all this accomplishment, but man... It's not substantive success. I want substantive success. That's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's when I know the power of His resurrection. The same power that raised Him from the dead, that same power working in my life. That's what I'm aiming at. Not that I'm already there yet, but I'm pressing on. I'm stretching forward. How do you get there? How do we move from here to there? I think um, there are a couple of challenges I see just in one statement, one sentence in verse 13. We cannot miss 
the challenges to your faith, challenges to my faith. One is we need to learn to be free of the past. Now that's a pretty vague statement that I just made there. But I want you to think, and for some of you, you're going to need to go inside of your heart and soul and mind and get really still on this. Some of you are going to need to get in a dark room. Some of you all are going to need to go backward before you can even go forward. And that is to go into in yourself and, and to realize that as you're trying to press forward, you're actually carrying a bunch of weight, a bunch of baggage, hurts, pains, wounds, hardships. I, I don't know what it is. Every one, it's different. Everyone in this room has been wounded by somebody, somewhere, sometime. And I'm so convinced I will never be free to run, as Paul gives such imagery here in this passage. I'll never be free to press forward fully and completely until I get free from some of the trash of my past. The resurrection of Christ gives us freedom. Notice that verse 13 he said, I'm forgetting what lies behind. I, I'm not hanging out. What, what somebody's done to you or what you've done to somebody, what you've experienced that no one else knows about, that you regret deeply, it is being free because that's, that's the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection sets you free from the past. It doesn't erase the past. The past is still the past. But the great thing, the past is in the past. And the guilt that we carry through life the resurrection gives us power to overcome. Here's a life principle for you. You tattoo it on your body if you have to. Your past should be your teacher, not your master. I'm afraid so many people, because of something, somewhere, sometime, some hurt, some wound, some baggage, it is literally their master of their life. And it's not their teacher. Let it teach you. Grow from it. Become something through it. You'll be better. The world will be stronger. You'll be free. Dutch Sheets, what a name, wrote a book called Roll Away Your Stone. He said this, God wants to roll away your stone as well. He wants you just as free as Jesus is risen. Christ's death and resurrection were for you. God's intent is to so saturate our lives with His life and Spirit that our everyday existence embodies and expressions uh, expresses the victorious and death-conquering resurrection of His Son. I wonder how many of us live behind a stone, live behind the weight of the sin burden that Jesus took to the tomb and He conquered it and He left it in the tomb. But I wonder some of us are still held captive to it. So the way I'm going to move forward, the way the resurrection is going to have residual effects in my life today and, and into the future is because I'm going to be free from the past. But number, number two, don't miss this, is that I don't need to settle for second place in my faith. You, you get no sense of mediocrity from Paul here. I press on, I strive forward, I, I strain toward, toward uh, what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. No sense of mediocrity in him. No sense of it whatsoever. 
Henry Blackaby said in his great Bible study experience in God, you cannot go with God and stay where you are. God is going to stretch you, challenge you, take you. Listen, but are you going to be willing to go there? Are you going to be willing to go there? And for some of us, we're so laissez-faire and so mediocrity in our faith, we'd rather just sit back and do the same old. And we miss the daily power infusing of the resurrection in our life. Even the people of Israel, long before the resurrection, but they knew the power of God. The same power that raised him from the dead was the same power that when they got to the Red Sea and they were looking at the Red Sea and they heard the sounding of the hoof prints of Pharaoh's army behind them and they were thinking, okay, we live there. We know what it like, it's like to live there. Let's, wait, let's raise our white flag and let's surrender to them. Or, listen to this, very important, they could raise their white flag and surrender to God and move ahead. What was it going to be? Surrender to Pharaoh's army and go back to captivity? If we don't let go of our past, if we don't get free from our past, we are truly a slave as if we were a slave to Pharaoh's army. So they get to the Red Sea. And what are we going to do? Are we going to cross? Are we going to stay? Are we going to go? And the Lord speaks up and He says this in in Exodus chapter 14. He says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Go forward. Where is he telling you to go forward? What Red Sea are you standing at right now that seems an impasse? Where are you being held captive in your history? Think about it. You know, I don't know if it's for you. And again, I'm, I, I thought through a lot of things this week. And What are some challenges that God may be challenging you with in your life? You know, there are lots of faith challenges that are out there. Let me just throw, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to shoot a few across the room today. And if any of them hit, then let, let them hit. Maybe you've already got your own that God's challenging you forward into the future with. You know, if you never tithe, it's a basic Christian concept. Commit to it. Take three months and just see what God does in your life. We are so convinced of it. We tell our members, we'll give your money back. Well, the church in Northwest Arkansas, I know that does this. We'll give your money back if after three months your life isn't blessed. You, you, you be the judge of that. That's how serious we are about it. That's how we're convinced that God is going to stretch you and grow you and bless you in it. What about this? Have you ever considered serving in a developing country? Take some time. Go on a global adventure. Is God stretching you? Are you you stretching forward or are you being held back? Think about your relationships. Your relationship with God, first of all. How's that? How's that going for you? Is it really there? Is it just kind of a... Is it kind of an affair? You go to Him when you want Him and you need Him, but you stay away from Him. And you're really committed to the other things of the world. I I, I want to encourage you to turn to Him. All, all these things, in your bulletin, there's a little white cloth. That's your white flag. Today, any of these that I'm mentioning, write it down. That's your white flag. Write it down. God, you're challenging me to do this. God, you're challenging me to move away from the the things of this world that call themselves successful but really have no substance. What is it for you? 
Maybe it's in your own relationships. Maybe there's more stress than there is, I don't know, communication in your relationships. Lori and I are going to kick off a series next week on just that. He said, she said. Because we're all in relationships. We have children. We have bosses. We have people. We have marriages. We're dating. We have people that we have a relationship. Sometimes we just don't communicate. We experience that. So we're going to start that next week. But I, I, I want to say to you, where, where are you at in just how you, maybe you need to write on the white flag, God, here's my tongue. Or maybe, maybe you need to write down, God, here are my ears. I don't listen very well. I'm surrendering my ears to you. I'm surrendering my tongue. To, I don't know what it is. What is it for you? You know, and then maybe it's just fill in the blank. Just yes, God. I'm just ready to go. I'm ready to do. I'm ready. You fill it in because maybe it's not one of those up there at all. You you got your own that God is challenging. He's calling you to. And this is your white flag moment. But I hope every day of your life you're experiencing white flag moments. Where you're saying, God, in the power of the resurrection, I move forward. In the power of the resurrection, I will live my life. I'll make it my goal to know you and the power of the resurrection. The challenge is this. You can already see from our first gathering today, a lot of people have come and they've, they've tithed. Or they've just laid a cross. They've draped a cross. They've stuck a nail through it. And, and they've said, God, I am, I am putting my surrender here. I'm giving it to you because I want to be fully yours. What is it for you? You can do that now. Let me pray. God in heaven. You know our hearts. You know what's holding us back. It's keeping us from moving forward. Maybe our spouse, maybe the person right next to us doesn't even, doesn't even know what it is. Lord, we want to put on a white flag. We want to raise it high to you and say, God, I'm tired of carrying it. I'm tired of it haunting me put it on your cross and I want to walk away and never look at it again. Lord, you're calling me to something. I want to press. I want to stretch. I want to I want to move out with energy. Lord, this is where I'm going. I'm putting on a white flag, God, and I'm going to go with you. Lord, would you do a tremendous work in our midst right now, in this time, in this place, as we surrender as we raise our white flags to you. In Jesus' name we pray.